You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. The Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro fears nothing. Not the cold, not the harsh terrain, not the challenges of a grueling hunt. Check out the Alpha Burley Pro at lacrossefootwear.com. Lacrosse Boots, done right since 1897. <laughs> Welcome, and thanks for joining us to another Land and Legacy Habitat podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. Matt Dye. And Zach Shermer. And we are very excited for this podcast because we first are going to cover the QDMA module. Go to QDMA.com forward slash Land and Legacy to sign up for the modules. We are on the sixth of eight modules. And this week is all devoted to the rut. After that, we're going to jump in and cover film number four that we released this past week. Uh, that we probably, overall, it's my favorite film that we've out of the four that we've done. This is this is my favorite. Um, just for, for a lot of reasons that we'll cover later. Uh, I know you guys probably feel about the yeah. same. And, uh, I thought it was just, horrible. Yeah. Especially the, the, the videography. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. You know. The guest, the guest uh, appearances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guest, the mustache appearances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, very, we're excited to talk about. They got a lot to cover in the film review. But first, QDMA module, the rut. The rut. It is. Is there a more debated topic mm. across deer hunters than the rut? Well, and, I don't and age all of the, a deer. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I don't know if there is because everyone's ob- like that's Six. when everyone's hunting the most, and so there's so many observations and stories, anecdotal stuff out there that's like, uh, mm-hmm. what do you even believe anymore? Like, can you believe it? Because there's some things because the wildest things happen during this time. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. saying people are liars, but and like they really well, do see crazy. That's stuff. when we take our vacation time. That's where right. we're, we're hunting Everyone's the out. first week in November. We're trying not to have babies the first week of November. Um, (laughs) If your buddy does, you say, what were you thinking? Um, Playing that better. Yeah. Yeah, And so it's kind of like when you think of deer hunting to me, when you think of bow hunting, it's always you like if if you were just to close your eyes and you say, hey, I can't wait till next bow season. Man, can you wait? You close your eyes. You think of the rut. You Mm -hmm. think leaves changing, bucks chasing does. And uh, so it's definitely one of those things that we all just definitely uh, think about um, and and want to think about more and, and plan ahead for. 
Yeah, no doubt. And uh, there's so much anticipation built up throughout every single year. Everyone is out there at that time frame. Or, or it's it's funny because we're going to talk about it in a second. But the rut doesn't always occur in November during that time. Yeah, Zach, you were, you kind of talked about it pre-show as the the wide range of ruts that are experienced throughout the South, specifically from Texas to Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida. That map that was in there was wild. It was really wild. Um, And it was kind of funny because you were saying all the confusion. I'm a little low here. Um, You were saying a little bit, oh, there's so many things that you can debate about uh, the rut. And the cool thing about these QDMA modules is that they do. We did that on purpose, by the way. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) They made me quiet, guys. (laughs) Um, Is that they put it to science. Like you can see all these questions played out. Um, with but with the science they've done behind you it. You go to a website and like most uh, frequently asked questions, like that's always a, a, a on a service website or whatever. They always have those like frequently asked questions about the ruts, and then they have research and science that just proves the the facts behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are you know a myth this, a myth that, but really it's it's a law of averages o- over. Uh, studies and years and years of studies that just say, okay, this is what's typically going to happen. Um, and for instance, like we're talking about the the wide range of ruts that occur throughout the South, and, and there's so many different. I, I don't know. I feel like people try and blame it on, but what it comes down to is restocking efforts years and years prior, and the lack of dispersion that the does have had, and they found out that because of that. Or, or as a result of that, the genetic maternal instinct controls the timing of estrus mm-hmm. in these does. They basically go back to the photo period of their mother, which determines when they become in estrus. So the restocking efforts, you can kind of see um, the distinct ranges of ruts throughout the south. It's like why and how and but that's that's the reason yeah when everywhere else in the country the midwest and the north is just tiny little window where they all I, run. I love the, the the difference between the northern states and the southern states and how they said that the northern states when you look at it pretty much the rut happens in three weeks every single year and it has from as far back as when they started studying mm-hmm. but in the <clears> south <throat> it can go from august or even I I think it was Lindsey Thomas Jr.'s article where he said you could be you could be in your flip flops watching the fireworks, yep. watching a <laughs> yeah. buck scraping. And there's a buck scraping in <laughs> South Florida. Yeah. Um, and I think we forget that so much when it's like, man, there, there's a lot of opportunity to go and hunt other states. And if you, you know, I think of the guy, the poor souls, we'll we'll call them that that are like November is a terrible time for me due to work or whatever. Mm-hmm. You could still go to some other state down south and hunt the rut. It just may not be in November. You could hunt it in February. So what what I found interesting was they said I said February. So you might have frostbite if you're in flip flops. But <laughs> no, I was, I was talking about early. Oh yeah. So you could go in August, or you could hunt the rut in August to February throughout the south. Or go to Florida, and there's a spot everywhere in the state, in just the state of Florida, from August to February, where right. there's rut, peak rut activity. So it's really interesting down south. It's just there's a whole lot of piebald rut patterns, basically. I think it's what they called that graph was it was very much a piebald pattern where there was just splotches and colors everywhere for different peak ruts. So 
Um, I, you know, it, but it goes back to everyone's. Oh, it's the moon. This, the moon. That. Right. Yeah. Everything that that plays into it. But it was it was the the maternal inherited genetic. Hey, this is when I become an estrus, mm-hmm. and they. Yeah, that it blew my mind. And in the south, they have the ability to have to lay fawns at different times of the year because there's longer growing seasons. Exactly. The the winter stress period, or there's a very very small winter stress period, Mm -hmm. so they don't have to have fawns in this small window like states up up north do because fawns have to get to a certain weight or a certain health to be able to make it through that next winter. So those those does that you know in years past would have late births or or come into estrus late up north. They just didn't have offspring, so that mm-hmm. was weeded out throughout times and generation. But now it's it's a distinct three week period. You better get bred, or sorry, your your fawns aren't going to make it. Kind of deal. Yeah. And also, we have one part that I really enjoyed was the hunting the rut article that somebody wrote, and it's always nice to you know you know how we base our management. We talk so much about doing certain <clears throat> things, and and then what he's found in the research of where the bucks were moving and things like that was how to hunt the rut. And we always talk about bedding thickets and laying out strategic places to where we just go in and we, we do heavy TSI or full on clear cut if there's no timber value. And we just make a nasty thicket that we know during a certain time of the year, does are going to seek that. He called it escape cover to where does are tired of getting pestered by bucks and I don't know how many times we covered this on the podcast, but it's a lot. Um, because it works. Because mm-hmm. it works, dang There's it. There's science right here. <laughs> it I, works. I, I And it's like, okay, uh, and I think of this. I have this side slope, the the line. I have this, this slope or the side of this hill that I can't really – I can't – it's too, it's too uh, flat or it's too unlevel. It's too rocky for a food plot. What can I do? Well, I'll tell you what you can do that's better than a food cut plot. Cut it down. <laughs> we can cut it down. We can do a heavy TSI. We can make it a bedding thicket. Let's line it out to where you can get in and hunt the downwind side of it to where mm-hmm. we know does are going to move in there during October, November, during the pesky time of the season where they're just tired of it. They go in there to hide. Bucks now start associating those areas with where the does are at yep. so they start seeking those spots out and if you lay them out like a dot on like they just connect the dots they connect the dots and you put those you put them in the places that you can get to like the the saddles and the benches where you can hunt those places because they're going to travel them for simplicity's sake let's draw a circle and then put little dots all just inside the circle all the way around it and and that's all we're doing and you can hunt it for each wind um if you have a west wind, you go on on the east side and you hunt it to where they're going on the the bucks are checking those on the downwind side mm-hmm. to where they're not wasting energy going in and going under logs and trying to hunt them out. They're just going to scent check them. Yep. And to me, that was just like, that's exactly. I mean, why is nobody else talking about this? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know because I feel like everyone's looking for a more complicated answer. But the thing is. We know exactly what's going to happen during the rut. No matter what time the rut is, bucks will seek does and, and does will seek thick escape cover. So let's just use that to our advantage, hunt those areas, create those areas, and done. Let's like, just call it what it. it is. It's easier It's easier to sell a bag or, yeah. or something than it is a, 
Escape uh, cover. <laughs> three hours of hard work. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> of no chainsaw doubt. backbreaking work. Yeah. Well, that was uh, funny because I don't mean to cut you off, but no, you're good. I, that was one of the points that I was had brought in that I, I guess I took away um, in the research from I, his name was Andy, but he had collared bucks in in Pennsylvania, and they took um, data points every fifteen minutes yes. throughout the rut, and and even within the rut, he found that within the home ranges of these bucks that they found specific areas that they traveled so intensely within a, a week's period of their their home range or, or the core, their core area they just focused in on those areas and what it like my mind immediately bedding area thickets right like because yeah, it was specific would, habitat areas yeah. too that he mentioned in the article where else would they be <clears throat> why else would they be anywhere else because that's what they're doing at that time of the year Create them and make them. The bucks will come. Yeah, that kind of ties into what I was going to talk about with some of the interesting, th- interesting things I thought. Um, something I'm guilty of, and I'm sure a lot of hunters are, is, oh, they're in lockdown right now. <laughs> yeah. The bucks are yeah. in lockdown. Yeah. And you can use that article um, as a reference, but <clears throat> those bucks would, first off, a doe will go into estrus from 24 to 48 hours, mm-hmm. and a lot of them will go around the same time. Yeah. So he's not going to have the ability um, to get with it to breed with all those um, does that go in the same time. And it's only a 24 to 48 hour window. As soon as he's done, he's going to go on to the next one. Mm -hmm. And within that time frame, he's going to be checking different spots of his home range, like that data, uh, that the data they collected said. So that's not necessarily a lockdown. Like they're not going to be with a doe for a week straight. Yeah. I think three to five days is what, what I've heard my whole life probably has been off oh, during that three to five day period. That's when they're, they're locked down with that one specific. Right. Belt. Yeah. Not, not, not quite case. like that. And no. not one buck is going to dominate. You know, he's not going to be the only one that's dominating the breeding. That's breeding no, those no does. Um, no. it, if so, then the lockdown, like that just proves, disproves the lockdown right. theory. Right. Exactly. If, they go together. If they all breeding, I mean, coming in estrus at the same time and he's locked down with one, that would mean only one got bred. Right. But you know, that's not the case. As you you know, fawning season comes around, you have ten fawns. Mm-hmm. And another property. thing about that, uh, when when going to that buck breeding all the does or whatever, the number of rubs they make, oh. a thousand to twelve hundred rubs during that time it's frame. Crazy. But that equals about ten to fifteen rubs a day. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. Oh. And you think about how I just I when as soon as I heard that ten to fifteen times a day, and I'm like, how many times have I seen a buck make a rub from right. a tree? <laughs> Not a lot. Yeah. And and then you're like, so they're doing it 10 to 15 times a day, and I'm I'm not seeing a lot in years of hunting. So you go think about it like that, and you could say, Why do I hunt? what else am I missing? What am I doing? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and that's the funny thing. How many times – I feel like it, this isn't a, a hunting strategy at, at this time um, because of research like this, but when I was growing up, like field and stream, outdoor life was just littered with – rub lines hunting the rub lines like that's why i grew up trying to to learn trying to and find or, or yeah. scrapes in, in and november like, early november yeah yeah i was like when i started to really get into research and stuff it was like man all that happens at night i wasted so many hunting yeah. seasons just spent you know trying to find a rub line or a scrape line and, and hunt it when all that happened at night and then it's like a rub line you think it said a thousand to twelve hundred rubs a, a buck will make it's like okay, let's see if you have five 
bucks that's that's like six thousand rubs and i'm going to try and find a transect it's like it's not <laughs> gonna luck. be a transect it's Good gonna luck. be like a circle of maze of matrix and i think in my head because i'm walking a straight line and finding them that he's all rub over the line. Place. well yeah. what i was thinking like, too was when you go to those rubs how many times do you stumble into those real thick areas that you're like man there's rubs everywhere and you and then you see the beds and you're like there's probably a correlation between more <laughs> rubs happening in, in the bedding, bedding areas than they are out on wherever next and, year. And, next and then you, you, you <laughs> quietly <laughs> tiptoe out. You're like, I probably shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think oh, of, oh, oh, what I is the tree, be. the willow trees that you find in those kind of swampy, wet mm-hmm. areas that are always just ripped? Yeah. yeah. And I it's mean, like just, six of them all together, and they're all torn up and broke and snapped. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're like, yeah, that's probably buck beds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know what was also like mind boggling is I think we've talked about it too on the podcast, but it's still, it gets me every time is that bucks will lose 20 to 25% of their body mass. Oh, it's crazy during the rut. I mean, and that's going into the worst time frame period that they can be. And they're losing that much of their body mass. So if it's a 200 pound deer, they're they're down to 150 pounds. Yeah, that's crazy. That's the and the pictures he had on that article were just habitat incredible. management. That's right. exactly you got to right. give them the food that they can recover quickly. To very where quickly. If you can get them to recover quickly, and you think about it, they're coming off the rut. So what what is going to be really growing during the month of January, February? Not a lot. Oh, oh, I know. And it's Things like are gonna be budding. That's it. And you're like, Timber I, I need much more young browse. forest right. and browse than I do going and planting something that's like, oh, this is going to be prime time. There's Even the stuff that grows great in the win- or like grows through the winter isn't really going nuts during a, a cold December, January, February. Right. Yeah. And so to me, it's like, and well, then you and look at Well, and it's not like March. it's like super, super like nutritious. It fills the voids. Like that's it's not it. like they're, it, it's sustainable for them, but it's, it's not like a soybean. Like no. we know that, but it still has to be present. We need brows. Mm-hmm. We need brows. That's it. Deer need brows. We need tons of brows. Tons of from, it. Look at it from the hunting aspect and going, okay, young forest, clear cuts. That's going to be pretty good bedding thickets, but it's also going to be great forage for them. Yep. What? No. What? Why haven't we heard the chainsaws fire up yet? <laughs> um, yeah. And but all you wrap, you wrap this entire module up into one thing, and it really stressed the importance. It both said it, but also if you were paying attention, it reminded us constantly the importance of understanding your deer herd and your habitat to where totally. I need better habitat. I need I need better forage for my deer, but I also need the adequate sex ratios mm-hmm. because it talked about the importance of, of having um, a balanced sex ratio to where we're not having does get bred later in the season because there's just not enough bucks to breed them on the first right. on that first cycle to where they're breeding them in february yeah, you said or they would cycle March. all the way into february if they didn't yeah. get bred they yeah. Would. yeah and yeah. where i forget where he said he saw a fawn in florida i think fawn dropped in november oh that's mm-hmm. crazy <laughs> i mean seriously <laughs> yeah uh, kip used to work in florida for a long for a yeah. long time um but yeah, I think he said it was a nine-month period. He saw one drop in April, and then also drop in in November. Yeah, hmm. just crazy. So the importance of understanding your sex ratio and how often do we see this, Matt, with a consulting company go somewhere and it's just like 
the landowner tells us, I got too many does. I already know it. I got too many does. We hear that story almost we everywhere we go. Yeah. And, and you just like, when you look at it in areas where there's very little food because there's so many deer and then they tell us there's so many does, it's like, oh man. Well, it's here's way another connection. If there's so many deer, there's not much food and there's not much browse in the timber and thick areas because seriously we've gone to places they have eaten it down it will not regenerate Mm -hmm. so you don't even have the thick areas the bedding areas to hunt because there's so many deer so it's like you have to start here get the deer population under control before you can even begin to think about promoting the right habitat Mm -hmm. that's and then then you think about the poor the poor buck who's out there running ragged (laughs) trying to breed all these does From November to February, yeah, it's just oh man, it's not good when nature gets out of whack. Yep. So I how, I really enjoyed this one. How that crazy was, was it really that good. if a doe lays twins, those could be from different bucks? Oh yeah, yep. I had no clue, and oh, they yeah. did that study where they were captive deer, mm-hmm. and they saw that, and then they were able to find that in the wild as well. Yep. Which I did not realize I think that it's was a possibility. Twenty five percent of them, twenty five percent of the fawns. That are born twins have different dads. That's a crazy. Figure. Yep. Wow. Pretty wild, cool wild. stuff. Film yeah. four. Film number oh, four. Buddy. A lot more humor in this one. <laughs> yeah. Lifestyles of the not so rich and. Famous. Now we gotta say why. I think. Uh, I don't know if we've shared, but um, why we've called episodes the way the reason we call them so. This one is called Lifestyles of the Not-So-Rich and Famous because we were singing the song Lifestyles of the Not-So-Rich and Famous yep. because we were talking about how we never had a redneck fiberglass blind on any of our farms. Um, we never really had a lot of fancy equipment. like it we, was, we built blinds growing up. I mm-hmm. did too. Put them in forked trees. Find yep. a, th- a yeah. triple forked tree and build a blind. And it lasts two seasons. You get a heck of a windstorm and... One tree got blown this way, and the other one's they the other way, and they, a little ri- bit. they yeah. ripped it apart. <laughs> and then and you got uh, nails coming out of this three-branched yeah. tree, and you're like, gosh, and, I don't even want to get up there anymore. And that tree no longer has any timber value. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the redneck blinds are definitely the, the primo of what we're looking for as far as uh, something that's nice and going to last a long, long oh, time. Oh, for sure. For and sure. so putting up the redneck reminded us of boy we kind of lived the lifestyles of the not so rich and famous <laughs> and so that's why this that's why the film was called lifestyles of not so rich and famous so uh well the other one was the ghost of mississippi yeah that's another song <laughs> yeah that we were listening to why we were in it's a st- steel driver song yep. uh why we were listening to it in mississippi on the way down because we really like that music and then we started hunting the turkeys of Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi. So that's why it was called that. Should we bring Kyle Bennett's name up again? Oh, no, in this, he's in this get podcast? Mad. He sent us a text. <laughs> yeah. He was upset. We were actually we were down there in Mississippi with Kyle Bennett, and then the ghost. Yeah, yeah. The ghost we, they all know now, but yeah. we just had to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Kyle. <laughs> so anyway, lifestyles are not so rich and famous. We kicked it off. We're setting up a redneck blind. Now, if they followed us on film number three, I believe. We did the government program, the permanent forest opening, to where we basically had 400 acres of straight timber. So we did the government program, and we opened up three food plots just under, right at two acres. And this food plot, as most terrain here in the Ozarks, if you look at it on a topographical map, it's going to look like a lot of elevation changes. 
It's somewhat flat, but if we were to sit on the ground, I'm really not looking forward to the day a turkey's gobbling in this food plot. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be tough. Because you sit on the ground, you can't see very far out there. I hate those yep. setups. And you get those. It's, it's like you'd rather back up and kill them in the timber. Yeah, and what I hope we can do is set up on the north end of yes. it and hopefully call them down, down that the, way. A little bit yeah. longer of that ridge. But down closer to this food plot, basically, just you head south down that ridge, you're going to run into a, a glady ridge. Um, it's basically a glady elevator ridge. So that's kind of going to be a great bedding area during the winter. Um, Late season. You've got tons of native grasses, wildflowers, and, and woody species out there. It's going to be converted into a – pretty much a whole ridge is going to be converted into a glade. Um, so it's going to be fantastic bedding during the late season. And so this is going to be the first – if they hit that ridge and come up, they're going to hit this food plot as they're working towards the big seven-acre food plot that we haven't opened up yet. Um, and so kind of long-term, that's it's going to be awesome. Right now it's going to be awesome because it's one of the only food place food plots in the area and it totally. hasn't had timbered around it yet. Now it probably will through this deer season, but it's the it's the main food source in that area. Um, and with the terrain, you set on the ground, you can't see. So mm-hmm. we we elected to put the first redneck blind that we have on that food plot to where you can see most of the food plot. Now there's still going to be parts of it on the far west side to where you may see a neck and a and antlers. Um, Hopefully, big antlers. Big antlers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely that's why we put it there Wait, because it, we can see. Now, there's a lot of other reason we wouldn't talk about now, which is basically because of that glady ridge out there. We know that this is going to be a, a a prime spot for deer to be bedding in late season, and then the blind also because of its enclosure offers a comfortable hunting during late season. So matching we we talked about this on the we had like a little qdma branch the local branch came out and did a tour and we talked about this as matching your food resource to the area and and your hunting setup and so because of that glady ridge we know again deer are going to be there bedding during late season so in that food plot we want a resource that they're going to hit during the late season to match that so we know they're concentrated there making that move up the elevator ridge, feeding in the plot during daylight hours, and we're in the blind, comfortable, out of the elements, and coming in from a whole different direction that they don't even know we're, we're there. And that's what we got we got planned out because there's soybeans now that we, fingers crossed, hopefully we'll make pods. Um, <coughs> the very, I guess it is the southwest portion, isn't browsed as much where they're first coming up out of that yeah. glady area. Um, so hopefully we'll have some standing beans, but then we'll have the legacy blend broadcast and drilled throughout the rest of the portion of that, that food plot. So it's going to be a great location for late season standing grain and greens, great bedding close and the hunting opportunity from that blind. Yeah. And I don't know exactly, you know, I've never hunted that farm, um, but I don't know the, the actual deer movements and the patterns, but the access on getting to that no, particular area of where you set it up is a great way to access it. it goes off a main road which i'm sure probably deer aren't using a lot you mm-hmm. can sneak right up through the timber there's a little bit of a knoll behind it mm-hmm. just go right up the ladder and you can probably get in that thing and there could be deer out in the field and they have no clue that's why we call it food plot or property architecture mm-hmm. yep. because it's never it it sounds easy to go okay i've got a piece of ground i'm gonna go put some food plots in i'm gonna put a road to, to those food plots 
but that's not the best strategy to have. You really need to think about the layout. That's where our consulting company really comes in handy and, and really helps a lot of landowners is finding the right place for a food plot. And just because you have a five-acre flat doesn't mean to bulldoze everything down and make a huge food plot because just because you have that huge food plot doesn't mean it's going to be easy to hunt. Mm-hmm. And so that, that I love that spot because it is kind of just like a you're driving along and it's just a little kick you out ditch basically. off to the left and you're right that you can get yeah. right up in the blind and you're 30 yards a- off the main road but <clears throat> it's a quick little walk and you, and it's, from that food plot they can't see the main road though mm-hmm. like it, it's, perfect. it's perfect so if deer are in the food plot and that's the way this whole property set up to where minus one main destination big field in the very center that's going to be the loading dock that's why it's not a food plot yet the loggers are going to be, that's where the lo, the logging truck's going in. So they're going to clear all that out, and it's going to end up being about six acres. And that's the only food plot that you will drive, the main road drives right to. But there's all kinds of roads going off to the side that will never go into it. So yeah. you can maneuver this whole property without ever driving through a food plot. 400 acres, right, and never touch one if you want to go from top to bottom, east to west, doesn't matter. You can get somewhere without alerting deer, feeding comfortably in food plots. Yeah. So yeah. you think about that during turkey season, too. Oh, yeah. Turkey's out and you just walk. Just keep on right. walking. Nah, he's got beard rot. Let's go to the next plot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got a half-inch spur. Yeah. He's only two. Well, look, what, he's got a half-inch spur. Let's wait till Shermer's hunting with us. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, and it also, um, you know, you guys did a lot of edge feathering on that field, too. That's just going to help even even yeah, more. I didn't um, think we showed – and we didn't show that on this podcast or on this film. On this film. No. We did a lot of edge feathering, and, and we To will, increase further the huntability of this. Right. Predicting and where deer enter and exit that field. We – you know, we did our workshop last weekend that was uh, the QDMA branch, Ozark Highlands branch workshop. And the feedback we got was that most people were excited and interested in our edge feathering technique. So we'll probably devote an entire podcast specifically oh, yeah. to edge feathering because we didn't realize that, I guess, there's not a lot of talk about this. And there's certainly not a lot of using it as a hunting strategy. It's a habitat and hunting strategy, similar similar to a food plot, if you yeah. you know, with that comparison, the benefits. But it is definitely an, an incredible hunting strategy, especially with we could honestly do an aerial, take a, a drone shot, and then really map it out and do a good um, analysis of why we had feathered here and this whole setup um, for a future podcast. But like I said. That was one of the most popular things at the field day. People were interested in edge yeah. feathering. That's so all of our technique. food plots will have yeah. it in the future. But that one specifically has the edge feathering phase one. So we've cut a lot of trees. We're still got a lot more to cut. But um, it is going to be an awesome set. And as we say it all the time, introducing new hunters. What better way to introduce them to a person that's not yet developed the the idea of sitting in the cold you can first take them and set them in a blind with you like a redneck blind and even during the winter when it's really cold but on a food source in the winter when it's really cold you're going to see a lot of deer yeah so you can introduce a lot of a lot of people to the outdoors during the late season just as much as i don't i mean early season's great but it's hot and there's ticks may not be the best experience but hot late weather season, puts deer uh, you know yeah in you sit in that redneck during December, somebody else, I'll be in the hospital. But um, 
or at home uh, in the nursery, but um, everybody else will enjoy it. Um, you think he's bitter about that? Yeah, it sounds I, like I really it, am not. Maybe you should have done better, better planning. <laughs> not really. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. And so it, it's a great time. I have it's several people time. that want to – I just had, I didn't even think Matt's been on vacation. We haven't even talked about that. But um, my wife works with a lady who her and her husband have, have never hunted. And they're probably right around 30 and they're wanting to go. That's what awesome. better way Perfect to introduce people yeah. that yeah. you know if they like it, then if you get the husband and the wife to like it, you're going to get that's the winning. kids. Right. You're going to get a generation of hunters out of that. So yeah. um, that's that's something I'm really excited to do too. And so what better way to take them to Redneck Line. But um that was just uh, that was first part of it. That was just really really awesome. Real quick, Zach, you had never set one up and, yeah. and put it together. What are your thoughts on you know the assembly of it and then just getting it boom flipped up and, and turned up? I mean, if us three put it together in two hours, probably two hours. Yeah. yeah, hot it, as hell. Yeah, it was very hot. Was don't hot. get me wrong, but not that bad. And and then whenever we had it constructed, you know, we constructed it with it laying down, obviously. Yeah. I was just assuming, okay, get the truck, pull it up. Nope. You guys were like, we're just going to lift that thing up. Yeah. <laughs> There's initial heavy lift to get it up, but once you got it up, you can just walk it up. Walk um, it up, get it set. Yeah, get it leveled out. Um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I'm. We just have like a, at our farm, we just built like a big box blind, but uh, uh, it's always a fight to go there in the wintertime because it's <laughs> the most comfortable, but I can imagine right. the redneck being the same thing with the fiberglass. and well, the, the shooting windows, the vertical side shooting windows oh, with yeah. the bow. Everything about them is just really well done. Yeah, and and they improve it every single year. Yeah, they, so it's, like, it is kind of crazy. I, like, you know, the first experience was like eight years with them, eight years ago. But like every year, it is something else is new, kind of coming out. Like yeah. new little feature, this and that, and bow hanger and what eaves and tinting and all this stuff. What do they think of next? Yeah, like, to me, <laughs> the, even the, like the little drip trays and yeah, padded just, floors, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in rednecks for a long time and i've been in some that are over 10 years old and i look at those which i thought were like the cadillac and now i look at what they are now and i'm like oh my gosh right that's the aston martin (laughs) anyway yeah i i thought i enjoyed that section um of course i'm really excited to enjoy it this fall yeah as we moved out of the redneck we shifted to river fishing and i think might have become a shocker to a lot of people that think of us as deer hunters, and as much as I hate that, I, I mean, I don't like being looked at as a as a deer hunter. I want to be looked at as a just as the deer as hunter. just as a deer hunter. I want to oh, be yeah. looked at as a as a land lover, if you will, and uh, conservationist. Where I enjoy deer hunting just as much as a serious guy, but I enjoy quail hunting and and turkey hunting, especially and duck hunting. I just enjoy it all. Well, you and your brother grew up on the river, didn't That's you? Fishing it. all as a kid. That we yeah. fished. What we showed in that film was how I grew up fishing. So a lot of guys would say, "Oh yeah, you fish," and then I'm like, "Yeah," and then they'll talk about, "Well, I'm headed lake." I'm like, "I don't know how to fish the lake. I always fish the rivers because <laughs> that's the kind of fishing I did. You float the rivers and you fish for smallies and goggle eye and whatever else we bite." And uh, so that that part of the film I really really enjoyed. It was kind of a very casual, mm-hmm. and we went with the whole production crew. So Zach, Nathaniel, and his cousin Matt, who's also on the production crew, um, all three of them, and then my brother and Matt and myself. So there were six fun. of us, and that was man, a blast. We had a lot of a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot of um, laughs. Fishing, of course, they were fishing with fly rods. That's right. We were fishing with the conventional one. Well, he, I had, he had to a make fly the rod. jet. Oh yeah, you were fishing with. I that. was fly rod. When I said we, I meant Matt and I, and my brother. 
When, oh, and I, I wasn't the, even fishing. I was just floating. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I just floated. Matt would be back five miles. Yeah. Matt, where's Matt? Just hung up again. It's okay, yeah. guys. I'm He's good. hung up, and we put him on a lure allowance. So yeah. a lure <laughs> I am. I the am first five minutes were on the like, river. Oh, the first <laughs> five lost. minutes I was, I was hung up. Yeah. Oh, I lost yeah. like two hooks. Yeah, you're sure. you're already down to your you're down to your last hook <laughs> yeah. for this hour. Hey guys, so we got one worm. Yeah. I'm just gonna float the scenic stretch. I'm good. Fish are biting like crazy. I think to me. I was reminded whenever we were with the fly fishermen and, and then, of course, us using the other stuff. And I have fly fish, and I really enjoy it. So I was – it's just laughs to me oh, yeah. just to make the make fun of you guys for it. But um, it's like the competitive nature with guys. And mm-hmm. it's like I'm a fly fisherman. Ooh, you – I have no respect for if you catch a fish. It's like the guys who shoot a, a deer with a gun – they don't get much respect from the guys with the yeah, bow. The guy that catches yeah. a fish it's with a silly. spinning rod doesn't get much respect from the guy with the fly rod. And I don't understand it. It drives me nuts. Dude, yeah. Because if they're the, – the fly fishermen and the conventional fishermen should get together and know that, all right, we're fishermen and we're going to both fight to keep this right to enjoy it. Now, that's not under his attack as much as hunters. So a guy that's hunting with a gun that only hunts on, on gun season, he comes out at 730 – He's just as much important yeah, who cares? as the guy who's out there every single time he gets gets off. Yeah. And so uh, those guys should all get together. And, and that, that's what is bad in this day and age where there's so much conflict and so much division between everybody. So that was just a light way to poke fun, yeah. but know that we're all having a oh, good time I, on yeah. the river. We all just have fun, but yeah, you couldn't have said that any better. Yeah. We all need to become one as outdoors people whatever whatever it is that you do out there man just enjoy it and if it's a legal way of doing it then that's your thing you that's know <laughs> totally right like, and I, I, i'm thinking not to jump in front of you but continuing that and going and then and then going back to what i just said i hated crossbows when they legalized it in missouri yeah. but it, as i start trying to find more people to take i love the idea that now i can get a crossbow and say we're going easy. hunting still yeah. And you don't have to be practicing with the bow right. all summer. It's got crossbow. We're going to shoot the crossbow <laughs> just a little bit, and, and I know it's dialed in because I've got it. And, and we're not taking the shot over you, this. And, and you'll if you aim and shoot correctly, you'll have a dead deer. Plus, right. plus we're going to bring deer really close. You're yeah. going to really yeah. get to enjoy right. it. And you get to take them during a, a specific time of year that you wouldn't be able to hunt if you just rifle hunted. Exactly. And, you know, you can take them that late October time where you just see a lot of bucks running everywhere looking for the first hot does. So it's a great That's way it. to introduce people. Yep. Exactly, exactly. Well, I was going to say, like, even, like, again, I'm not a fisherman. I don't classify myself as a fisherman. But, like, I'm a guy who... I just like I super super enjoyed just floating and being on the water. Like back home, there's tons of creeks and rivers in Virginia. We had gorgeous views of Shenandoah Valley, Shenandoah Rivers. Um, I loved getting out there on them, and I would just sit there and float and just like be a part of it. I would get up super early and just kind of like the day would wake up and I was yeah. on the water. Like I just love that. To me, that's relaxing, and that's what that day was for me. Like I acted like I fished and I got hung up a bunch <laughs> and I didn't, I think I caught like three fish, but I just loved being out there with friends and just sitting there floating and seeing the Ozarks, the bluffs, um, the, uh, chinkapins growing off the side of these rocks. <laughs> and like, it was just the burrows, the burrows that we saw. I was like, as man, we, we debate this all the time, what's in. our favorite tree, especially I like go, home and burr. And it's like, how can you not, uh, I love the white oak tree, but they're so abundant, and they're, I mean, 
the bur oak is kind of still unique to us. We don't see a lot of them, but they're so cool. The acorn is so amazing yeah. looking. Um, the they're tree all spiky, itself, right? It's got the little like hairs yeah. all around it. Yeah, and they're a lot bigger, aren't they? They're huge. They're, huge, they're right? golf yeah. ball size, if we, not bigger. Yeah, yeah, and so. It's hard for us to say that bur oak isn't well, our favorite tree. Driving, and there was a lot of them on that there's river. There's a bunch of them there. Driving home yesterday from out west, we were coming to, like through St. Joe, and we were right along the um, Missouri. I mean, excuse me, the yeah, the Missouri River and the bluffs. Like you're looking up on the bluffs, and it was just bur oaks across the whole top of them, just like these That's big awesome. <clears throat> monster full canopy ones. It's like, oh, I love the look of those. Yeah. From 300 yards away. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know it's a burrow. I knew it was a burrow. They're yeah. just so rugged looking. Gosh, they're gorgeous. So. And, and we were just kind of floating in and around them that whole trip. Like, I, I was just taking it in. Yeah. And that's cool. Like, you you grew up enjoying fishing, Adam. You grew up fishing, and, and you're getting more into the fly fishing. And I grew up just floating and enjoying that. But, like, that's what the river and the outdoors can do for everyone. Like, no matter how you enjoy it, no matter how you want to enjoy it, it's there for you to do it. Just go out and do it. Yeah. And I think the the big thing was we talked about summer being so hot and still trying to find ways to get outdoors. And you do all the habitat work, but it's important that we don't burn ourselves out or we don't make it to where it's always a job or it's always hard work. You get out, you find ways to really just enjoy nature. And so that's what the the part of or the importance and the reason we went on the float was we wanted a day for the production crew and all of us just to get together and have fun but still be productive Mm -hmm. and uh so that's why we floated the river is amazing it was a great reminder of just the natural beauty that we have here so if you aren't i mean it's as simple as going we put in we actually went and met at a canoe rental place or and to where you could just Go and pay to rent their canoe and float the river. You wouldn't you have to have buy to. anything other than rent the canoe. Right. And you could have had so much fun. So Yeah, the, the the rivers in the Ozarks are just so beautiful. We, My wife and I were at the current this weekend. Mm. Talk about a, another beautiful river. Incredible. There's springs all up and down that river. That and they're one just is so incredible. cool. Uh, we went to some national forest called um, Alley Mills. Have you guys ever been to Alley Mills? I think so, yeah. It's a big red barn. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Alley Spring. That, yeah, yeah, but the, yeah, it's, yeah, and the, and the mill's right there. Yeah, um, it's it's huge. I mean, it's probably National Park Service just shared a picture of that on their Instagram. Yeah, actually, the, yeah. it's huge. I mean, the spring is probably half the size of your house here. It's it's yeah. a giant spring. Um, and uh, it's just beautiful. You know, since since it's become a national park, you know, you can't touch the water and stuff like that. So it's really pristine and it's natural habitat. But it's really cool. Yeah, mm. that's I think the thing. It was... In 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 every area you go to the the creek system the water system is so unique you go to south carolina georgia and you see that black water and the cypress swamps and knees and and at like the spanish moss hanging over like no matter where you go like the waterways are they're so unique to that area i know go out and enjoy them Mm -hmm. how about jenny lake matt oh gosh yeah my wife and i this past week were in uh yellowstone and grand teton and idaho and Jenny Lake is at the base of the Tetons and just absolutely incredible. Takes your breath away. That's yeah. cool. Both we, when you jump in and when you <laughs> see it. <laughs> well, her and I, we, uh, we, we did whitewater rafting on the Snake River. Oh. And that's incredible, but cold. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we both got in. You had to wear wetsuits, right? 
You didn't have to. Okay. But when we went, we, we had oh, we to. Did. Um, I was like, I'm getting in, so I'm wearing a wetsuit. I don't no blame doubt. You. It was. They said it was 55, you. which is about the highest that it gets throughout the summer or you know really? the year. Um, never freezes because it's flowing so yeah. fast. But oh my gosh, Whew, it was cold. But no matter where you go, those the water systems are are unique to those right. areas. You know, it's yeah. awesome. So, part number three was. Uh, the timbering. Mm-hmm. So we, we showed the progress of, of timbering. So we did the timber harvest, part of the timber harvest, I should say. About 120 to 50 acres. Yeah. On the Prairie Hollow property, our home base. And we uh, basically returned to see the results of one growing season. Now, they cut these trees mainly in July and August and September of last year. And so we've had, of course, we had winter where nothing was really growing. And then in the spring green up and this summer everything growing so it's not really it's even, not even that a, a year it's of growing half season. A growing well i'd, I'd say two-thirds of a growing season when that was filmed and so we returned to see what was once leaf litter and sticks and twigs like not much benefit to the wildlife Zero quality habitat to where the only real benefit was when acorns fell during a right. small portion of the year the rest of the year is pretty much barren desert now we have browse going back to that we have tons of browse we have so much green growth from a lot of the summer annuals and early successional plants growing up to where it's like we have i just looked at this this past weekend we have spots where we have giant ragweed eight foot tall (laughs) that i'm sure people drive by (laughs) i'm sure i I may get in trouble (laughs) saying this but some of the locals may drive by and look at the leaves and go dang i look i gotta give it we ought to harvest honor mine. That's just giant ragweed. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it seriously is eight foot tall. That's yeah. crazy. And, 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 a, and next to the roads, to where <clears throat> now people can't. What you could drive and see up through the timber, you can't. No, it looks like a mess in there, but oh. a beautiful mess at it's that. It's a beautiful <laughs> mess. <laughs> That's a country song right there. What is is it? it? What a beautiful mess. Oh, that is a song. <laughs> it's a Diamond Rio yeah. song. Um, and so you have tons and tons of forage right now. I mean, it's green. There's tons of common ragweed, giant ragweed growing, all kinds of other plants. I mean, you saw I yellow mean, d- honeysuckle, one of our native honeysuckles. out the wazoo. Yes. And uh, and so not only do we have tons of forage, but as that matures, I mean, you think of that, that giant ragweed. Once it matures, we're still going to have tons of stalk and limbs hanging from it to where you can't. It's still great cover. Yeah. And all the seeds are now great seed for the quail that are hopefully gonna find that <laughs> soon so it was just uh i mean it's it's not only canopy opening but like eye opening too for people who have come and visited uh like like you zach yeah. and and the people who were on the the tour that's another part that was their favorite is the tsi work um and then comparing that to the timber harvest and then comparing that to follow up the timber harvest with additional cutting tsi and timbered areas like the stages, the development, the opening of the canopy, the amount of sunlight that um, gets to the ground, and what that then, you know, how the how the the forest responds to that sunlight, what comes back, it's it's as evident as I don't know anything. Like I think you can't deny it. The yeah. one thing we should say and really stress to people is because a lot of people listen to this podcast or listen to other podcasts because we all have the goal of killing big deer. 
or killing a target deer, I should say. Whatever big is to you. Yeah. And you don't, for the most part, and I would say 90% of the guys, because 90% of the guys aren't planting a huge amount of crops or food plots for the deer. They're planting a couple food plots or several food plots, but not enough to really change the whole property. Um, you grow big deer in timber country by managing the timber. Right. You don't grow you don't grow big deer in timber country by planting a few food plots. You grow them by managing the timber. And by managing them, that means getting rid of the weed trees and letting plants grow on the forest floor. So you get into more woodland settings. You get into more savanna settings. You find what's native to that site, and you <clears throat> enhance it, and you build off of that. You don't try to make it something that it's not. We said this at the workshop that just if you have a glade, you don't try to make it a food plot because you're going to fail miserably. You're going to you need to enhance that glade to make it as productive the as best glade that you can make it. Yes, most of our glades around here are just rocks, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> but the native the stuff grows cedar. through. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> if you open up even more, you'll have more natives. Exactly. So that, so the other reminder with that timber harvest, you, everybody saw the green carpet of everything growing. No fertilizer, no lime. All it was was sunlight and right. rainfall. And because of that, you think about that when comparing that, which looked like a food plot grown in the timber, to an actual food plot. The difference in cost. Mm-hmm. And so you can take the timbering and say, this is, this is what I'm going to allow my deer to survive on. This is what is going to provide their food, their cover for, for the year. And here's the food plot for a hunting strategy that's the ice cream of, of, the, of the farm. This is what they're going to eat, but in case this fails, they can still survive and be, be as healthy as possible on this native vegetation. Well, the, the timber harvest, you're net positive money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Food plot, you're negative money. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of money Gabe sometimes. Brown calls it signing <laughs> the back of the check versus signing the front of the right. check. Right. Well, it's it, either writing them or cashing them. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And you're more prone. I think we talked about this in the food plot section last week <clears> or the week prior. Is you're more prone to failures in your food plotting than you are in the timber. Oh, yeah. And, Adam, you, you kind of threw out a phrase that we haven't used that much, but you said weed trees. Like, what's a weed tree managing weed trees it, and it's it's a, a phrase to describe not necessarily a set species of trees but more or less a condition of specific individual trees within a timbered area or not timbered area and it's managing those to terminate them realize that they're not going to be of any value it could be in some instances it's oaks for us sometimes we have too high density of oaks they're growing um there's way too much competition they're dying out um so we're just going to expedite that and that right there is a weed tree so we're going to kill it and whatever area or or sunlight was blocking now is available to reach the forest floor and more beneficial vegetation will grow in its place where it was and basically long term what or, or simplified you know idea of a weed tree What's it going to do to improve the habitat well, down and, the road? And we have to be careful when we say weed because we talk about how much we love weeds in our food plots. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that's probably why we don't say it a lot because we don't want people to misinterpret it. When we say weed, some of the weeds we like in our food plots, it's knowing what weeds, and I say that in air quotes, of common ragweed and giant ragweed, 
things like that we things like with forage value. But then there's Johnson grass or Isolespedeza, pigweed, a lot of these other weeds that we don't want, mare's tail mm-hmm. that we don't want in our food plot that we would call weeds, true weeds, a plant in an unwanted place. Then you look at trees and you say, what trees are in an unwanted place? And we look at it, is it beneficial to wildlife? Is it beneficial to me? Is it native? And a lot of times it's, oh, well, at one point this was an oak hickory forest and now it's a hickory oak mm-hmm. forest. So I need to remove a bunch of hickory trees. And, or, or, uh, the, or the, the sycamore trees. you see on ridgetops. It's like yeah. it's not in the right site index, but somehow it, it is growing. But <laughs> it, it's not doing me any good here. Yeah, it shouldn't be here. It's never going to make a log. It's ne- Right, never going to make a log. I'm getting it out. It's gone. But it's being decisive in understanding the value of it or the, the lack of the value and making a decision to keep or, or leave and moving on to or the next here, one. Here is a cluster of 20 elm trees that are just growing in this site that is completely shading out the ground. Now, I don't want to completely annihilate them and remove all of them because that's not land man. That's just me trying to play and play god and say what can be here and what can't be here i'm just trying to enhance the landscape so native tree but i don't want it to dominate the landscape mm-hmm. so we remove some of those let a lot more sunlight come down and uh and pick the healthier ones and it i mean that's the one thing just because you see all green canopy doesn't mean it's a healthy tree not at all and a look lot of times shape. look at the form look at the young tree the young limbs coming off the off the trunk as it goes up if those tr- limbs are starting to die out and you're starting to see a lot of those come out, it's probably a stressed tree, and you need to do something to either make it healthier or remove it from the system. And so uh, to me, that whole section, that was kind of the the meat and potatoes of habitat management in film number four was the timbering of the of the Prairie Hollow property. For sure. And seeing the results, I mean. They spoke for themselves. That's, that's right. It. And so. And the deer using it. The that's bucks the, you guys had in it, yeah. They're there all, I mean, they've been there all summer. That's where a that's lot of the, the deer are, are living. Take, so, the take a walk down one of the skitter trails where obviously they're walking. It's easy walking along benches, and there's browse absolutely mm-hmm. everywhere. So then you go and you look at, we went right out of the timbering to follow up because we have a lot of cameras in the timbered areas. We're looking for the, for their hitless bucks. And we had, we talked about Big Show and we're like, I'm waiting for him to show up. And we haven't confirmed this, but we were then talking about Hippie showing up. We thought this buck was Hippie. And uh, so you're going to hear it right here first on this podcast. That wasn't Hippie, we don't believe. Hippie was a real wide 10-pointer that his main beams, where they ended, were kind of still 14 inches wide. This buck, since the fourth film filming, he's grown even more, and his main beams have wrapped all the way back started wrapping back around like a basketball shape rounded rounded and, form and tines, and tines just went whoo, through the roof so we have a really really nice mainframe eight pointer that's just a stud that i believe which is we, big show yeah, which we believe is big show and big show last year we thought he's probably three but he could be three and a half or it could be two and a half and so this year we're trying to look at all these pictures and go okay is big show this stud of an eight pointer was that his jump from two and a half to three and a half, or was it three and a half to four and a half? Now, if it's two and a half to three and a half, we're still going to shoot him. Impressive, yeah. But it would be interesting to know how big he got if he didn't make that jump from three and a half to four and a half. But I suspect he's four and a half. So 
I mean, an absolute good, good Ozark Mountain deer. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, that deer, uh, you know, building the hit list. We're using Deer Lab. Well, honestly, now, now that we figure that it is Big Show, it's kind of even a better situation because Hippie, if it was him, he had a very distinct pattern last year of what he was doing, where he was at during season, during the rut. It was okay. Well, we can kill him there, but Big Show, he he has a different pattern. And right now, he's staying a lot of his time on the lease. And last year, he spent a lot of time in a very specific portion of the lease. And I, I'm not, I'm confident. I guess I would say mm-hmm. um, with with the intel we got from him last year. If we go back and analyze it now, knowing that this is probably him, we're we're gonna make some some good moves i think and and what we've done the food plots that are in place now um and the stands that are in place i think that we will have a good shot at harvesting him if that is him and he does very similar to what he did last year yeah so that's encouraging for yes. sure because he's oh this time of the year is so fun getting all those pictures and mm-hmm. it's christmas morning every time the, you go the engines the... are running in the in the mine trying to figure out oh, yeah. how to hunt these deer and what they're going to do it's so fun that, that it certainly it, is. And the last part of the film was the spring. Um, yep. That was definitely something that was very cool. A good oh, reminder yeah. of the natural beauty, once again, that we have here at our fingertips. Now, that one is a good reminder of private land ownership and the responsibility you have in owning that land and conserving that land. Um, and now we're not complete hippies i'll say and say that all land should be left alone there is within reason <laughs> we we've, we've brought up the difference between preservation and conservation many times i think on the podcast and it's a conservation mindset here um but it just if if you have a feature it needs to be respected and taken mm-hmm. care of something that unique yeah and for sure. and so that spring is private land and nathaniel actually has a book that is uh, that explains I, I forget what they called it big big blue spring I think big blue spring or something like that real real creative name but um, <laughs> they looked at it and said huh, that's big blue. blue spring it's kind of big well there's only <laughs> there's only a dozen of them in the Ozark right. so um, <laughs> big blue spring one big blue spring two <laughs> well all these guys started started going across the land and they all like oh look at this big blue spring oh i'm gonna call it big blue spring not knowing that two counties away there was another guy looking at another spring going i'm gonna call this big blue spring (laughs) and so uh that to me so that that big blue spring the book some guys scuba they put on scuba gear i can't even imagine because they did it in 60 so i imagine it's the the guy out of the aquarium or out of the fish tank that's got the big metal big helmet globe over that's what he was sitting down and they went down and 41 foot to the to the top entrance of the of the cavern that goes back into the end of the rock and it's like it's like a 15 foot opening you swim through that and it, you don't go very far and it goes into a room that's just tornado and gravel of Oh gravel and water where so like cool where the water's coming out yeah. there's there's gravel just spinning around in it and so you couldn't go through that i mean you get sandblasted well, you'd with the go rock. through but you're not coming <laughs> yeah. out Whoa. and so it's very unique and the land ownership from whenever from from land ownership started um if that even is a thing still but um has been contained and left just the way it is it starts out 
as a big blue spring, comes to a big pool, and it dumps out in the Niangle River. And nobody's changed it. Now, mm-hmm. I think there's probably there's times where people say, well, it's a big spring. I want to build a dam and make a big spring-fed lake. Um, and in this case, would if they did that, they would run this natural beauty mm-hmm. um, forever. Yeah. And so it's definitely a reminder of, of the importance of, of letting nature be in most instances because we're never going to make it better than it was intended to be. Nope. Uh, so we jumped in. I had a lot of fun jumping we in. We had to test the water. Had yeah. to. Oh, and it was so hot. It was about out. like the Snake River. <laughs> That's oh, it. Gosh. We had to test the water, and and uh, it was definitely fun and and uh, a good. Uh, I just love the natural beauty and and the springs. Just you, I mean, you can't make it up. You can't replicate it. No. It, I can't even was, get the words to put together how much seriously. fun we had. So it was a lot of fun. Um, taking one thing in. we didn't mention was the glades that we saw floating that river mm-hmm. and and how they are the being bluff. taken over by eastern red cedar there you didn't think i was going to get into this podcast I but i do did. it i do it they're the glades that are kind of these big huge open dry grasslands that are native to the ozarks are take getting taken over by these eastern red cedars and it was just a good reminder we need to burn these things so uh and and cut the Got the cedars well, or the actually, erosion on the, we on the river. We plans to take drip torches on the kayaks next <laughs> yes. year and just right along the bank. <laughs> this winter, you guys are fishing. I'll just yeah. I'll just hang the drip torch out and yeah, kayak along the bank. So yeah, uh, and then of course the erosion trick. that we we actually filmed that didn't make the cut. Maybe we'll break out one of these days of oh the, the erosion, the erosion. erosion. Yeah. Yep. Good reminder of you know when people putting out these tree, pushing out and making these bottom fields. And they're pushing it to where there's one row of trees next to the creek, or sometimes it's just a ditch, and they're or like, "Oh, that's a, good enough." It's a fence, that's and it. they're like, "Oh, that's that one row of trees that'll hold the bank." Mm-mm. Well, if those trees give out, then you have a huge disaster in your hand because you have not only are those trees going to fall in, and all that gravel or silt that's there is going to fill into the river, but then you have the ability for the river to now change because it's going to hit a bank that's not secure, and so you'll have this just this erosion and so we saw that throughout the whole river yeah and then you hear this about the rivers used to be a lot deeper but mm-hmm. you look at the amount of gravel that's in the creeks huge problem and so erosion control is a huge thing we need to be focused well, on honestly wetland management riparian management stream management is huge and i don't think there's great resources out there to educate landowners yeah. on <laughs> we, that remember the resource. book that we had that our, my brother oh, yeah. gave us 1978 i think <laughs> it's like Maybe. all these pictures are <laughs> pulling diagrams. out the case yeah the case does you're like oh my gosh yeah old old stuff but it's a serious thing because you heard the the phrase everyone lives downstream but it's it's incredibly true but we have to you we have to see that as a resource too and and the i guess the diversity that happens with these streams and outside of the banks being wise with those um resources of the riparian areas the wetland areas understanding what they do yep so i think i hope everybody enjoyed film number four if you haven't already please share it on facebook instagram yep Share it in emails. I don't care. Just share it. That's our. That's the biggest way you can help us on these films to ensure that there's going to be future films is by sharing it and uh, letting more people know about the Land and Legacy film series. Sharing the podcast, we would much appreciate it. Absolutely. 
Would you rather? You got anything in mind? I asked you I, I, guys a very random last week. So I have a silly one. You brought an El, El Camino uh, into the wind. El Camino. <laughs> <laughs> that was right. That's right. Mine's Let's a silly go one. Go ahead. <sighs> Me and my buddies, whenever we were younger and we used to hunt, we would always say this to each other. So we, you know, if we weren't seeing deer or whatever, we'd be like, okay, if you, <laughs> if you had the ability to do this, would you rather be able to lift the forest up and all the habitat, like the grasses, like, a, and like, a, like lift it up in the sky, yeah, what, and see where everything is, and then put it back down. Or freeze time to where you could walk around and see where the deer are. Oh. <laughs> oh. Just, yeah. I was like, it's a silly one. But. Please get somewhere with this because I am so confused right now. Yeah, <laughs> I got it now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'd rather I freeze time and walk around. Okay. <laughs> I want to yeah. see specifically where they're where they're betting at. True. And and what cover they're using. That's just yeah, well, you could walk right over them and not see them if it's really, you know. I, yeah, they I, could be I hidden could, against the log. You said freeze log. time. They could, could be hidden against the log that we've cut and laid down and raked yeah, everything yeah. Adam's like, pick it up. I just want to see them. No, I'm going to walk around <coughs> I too. Walk. I want to okay. see, yeah. see them in their natural environment. Yeah. But there's frozen in time. Yeah, there's yeah. my <laughs> silly one for you. If the day ever comes, I'm definitely going to pick freeze it. There you go. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Would you rather... Yeah, you have a hunt coming up this this fall. Would you rather try to take a kayak, anchor up just downstream on a crossing, and shoot a deer crossing a creek out of a kayak while you're sitting in the kayak, or would you rather um, go and hunt, do a like a still hunt through the timber, hmm. and you're going from tree to tree and shoot one that way? What would be more I've, what would be more fun to you? I've done the still hunt before, and that's incredibly awesome. That's fun. Um, I like being able to move and get you know practice the woodsmanship. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the kayak, for sure, I'd like to try that. Just find a crossing and just yeah. sneak in there. Put yourself right up against the bank of root water or something, and yeah, that'd, that'd be, be cool. That'd be cool. Um, I I like the spot and stock. I'd want to do the spot and stock. I've I never, think I'd rather I, – I, I love the sound of the spot and stalk, done it. But I think the thing that I love about hunting waterways is you just never know what's going to show up. Right. Oh, yeah. Like last year, Matt, when we were in Kansas, it was like, hey, there's a beaver back. No, that's not a beaver. That's a – It's a coon. It's a, a raccoon <laughs> swimming. Like that's he was cool. just swimming downstream. Yeah. We, ha- we had ducks that buzzed us like in the tree. Oh, that's just cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, came, like, banked around. That wood ducks, almost but. shot at a doe. Standing in, yeah, in the standing creek. Standing in the creek and on the other side of the creek. So I almost shot her across the Republican River. It was like a 45-yard shot. She was high alert because she was – we did not expect deer to come up the creek channel. They, they seriously walked 100 yards down the river, walked through the river. No Going kidding. upstream, find the sandbar, and walking that sandbar probably their, their shin level deep, but just – That's really cool, yeah. Yeah. Three does just bump all the way up. So they're like, I smell something. I smell something. And so when yeah, she, that'd be pretty unique, actually. Yeah, you gonna change your answer? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As a guy who's gonna lift up. Well, yeah. What would you do? What? How'd you answer? Lift I up always, the habitat it, or walk in there? 
I've never thought about it from the habitat habitat perspective. So I always thought, let's lift it up so you can just see everything. <laughs> let's lift it up and burn it down. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully, that's two of them. Matt, you didn't I, have I one got on one. last. All right. I what got is one. <clears throat> um, you guys had the resources to buy 100 acres in Michigan or 100 acres in South Carolina to deer hunt on. Michigan. Michigan, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this I just feel like bigger deer. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's right, but uh, I've never hunted both states. I like states. the regulations just... in Michigan better than South Carolina. <laughs> you don't want to rifle hunt in August? No. Are you serious? <laughs> no, and I don't want. In August. Yeah. What? Seriously. Yeah. I thought it was Tennessee that's only doing. No. No. You South can, Carolina, in, you can in the, gun in the hunt. Delta, I think, or in yeah, the, what really? the low country. Yeah, the low country. Yeah. You can rifle hunt, kill them. September. Can you run I mean, dogs in South Carolina? Oh, that I'm not sure of. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, I would take Michigan just because I, you know, we saw Michigan uh, this past whenever it was. It was May. in May, May 19th. And I thought it was a beautiful country, great people. It was very pretty. Yeah. And uh, very I saw some things that told me that, you know, there you have the ability to do some habitat stuff up here, um, contrary to popular belief, <laughs> that you, you can you really do some <laughs> really cool stuff up there. You really could, yeah. And now, the area I'm that getting we were the in. heck out come December. Yeah, that is true. That's going to be brutal. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. And so I would take Michigan. Anyway, hopefully everybody enjoyed this week's podcast. If you haven't already, go check out the film number four. Um, hopefully by this time you have or you have not a clue what we're talking about. Um, but anyway, please share it, leave us a review, and catch us next week. We'll see you. See you. See you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.